Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt. When it comes to pregnancy and birth, there's a lot of conversation around how a mum is feeling, which is as it should be. But it struck me recently that we really don't talk about how the dads are going. Mind you, this has taken me about 10 years to realise this, so I know that I'm possibly (laughs) part of the problem. In trying to rectify this, I've invited Rob Stark, author of Man Raises Boy, to chat about how dads feel about pregnancy and birth. Hi, Rob. How are you? Great, Siobhan. How are you going? Good, thank you. Let's start at the beginning because I feel like the most important conversations to be had are around the first child because yeah. it's the first for many of us. Yep. How did you feel when you found out your partner was pregnant? I, When I found out my partner was pregnant with our daughter, who's now six, unbelievable, but um, I was finally, I think, in a place where I was emotionally ready to have kids. Um, as I said in the book... All through my 20s and probably a little bit of my 30s, the thought of having kids terrified me. I I genuinely thought I'd be a terrible parent. I didn't want kids. And I thought it would basically be like a, you know, a sentence on the rest of your life. Um, But then I was in a very loving and close relationship. We talked openly about kids. So when it actually happened, I was like, okay, I'm kind of ready to take the leap. I was still really nervous and scared. I'm like, what's this going to be like? And how's life going to change? But I was at least at a point too, I was like, okay, well, when throughout the pregnancy, when the baby comes, I want to be really involved. I don't want to be a distant dad. I don't want to just be the breadwinner. I do want to be an active, caring parent. So that's when I guess my mind turned to, well, how do I do that? And that does start in the pregnancy journey. And I think it's for a lot of dads, it's really hard because you're kind of not involved, at least in the health services, you're really a sideshow. From, the, from those first appointments all the way through to the birth, which yeah, I hope we'll, we'll get into today. Absolutely. Um, so we have, my husband and I have two kids and my daughter's 10, hence why it took me 10 years to <laughs> <laughs> come around to this. But, um, and my son is eight. And when I speak to my husband about it, he said that with both babies probably, but it was probably more apparent with our first child because she was the only child for us to concentrate on. Whilst I was pregnant, it really took first until he felt her move. Mm, yep. But even after that, sorry, Daniel, but you know, to be, <laughs> just be honest here. He said it took probably not until after about six months when she really started to respond and be able to interact with him. Yeah, That's when he felt a strong connection. So I think for women, I know for me, because it was happening to my body, as soon as that morning sickness started, or as soon as I felt the changes in my body, it was a very intimate connection. You can't really avoid that. And I just wonder what your experience was like, as you say, in that first period, not just with the health services, but even on a physical level. It's, it's, is it hard to connect with that idea that this baby is real? I think it is. I think it is. I think particularly the first, five, let's say five to six months of a pregnancy, the first two trimesters when, as you said, the mum's carrying all the physical changes and the exhaustion, but at least seeing the bump, you know, mm. is, is not there. You're not feeling the baby kick. But for me, and I've said this before too, I think one of the great things about pregnancy for men is you have nine months or give or take seven to nine months, depending when you find out when the baby's born, to get ready. So, you know, to get yourself in an emotional place, uh, in a professional place with work, to be ready to be a dad. And as you know, we've talked about before, 
The challenge too then is the signals that we're sending dads is they might be trying to recalibrate their life. You know, you look at the parenting books and there'll be a few pages, maybe a chapter on what it's like to be a dad. And the messages are kind of like, you'll help the mum out. Then you go to the health services. Like we went, we had a fantastic obstetrician both times, same obstetrician. She was great. But I, I was like, I'm going to come to every appointment, even, you know, if it's 10 minutes, I don't care what it does to my work day because this is really important. And I'm there for you to my wife, Julia. And every time we went to an appointment, I was a complete irrelevance. I was sort of sitting on the side and the obstetrician didn't want to talk to me or hear anything about what I wanted to say. Or, yeah. you know, it was a lot of, the focus was, how are you feeling, Julia? How's your body? How are you mentally doing the Gidget Foundation screening? All great things, but not any regard. How's, how are you feeling, Robin? your journey to be a dad. And that's, I think that's the first message we give is it's all about mum, and it's nothing about dad. Now it can be about both parents. You yeah. know, there's, there doesn't have to be zero sum, right? It's not like we're saying men no. need more space, but it's, you want men to be like, so how are you dad? How's it been at home for you? Or have you thought about parental leave or, you know, how are you mentally adjusting to the prospect of becoming a dad as it gets closer to the date, but just not having those mm. conversations. And I think that's, that sounds really scary to me. Hugely scary. Yeah. yeah. Because I mean, I was, always terrified of having children right up until my first labor pain. <laughs> um, but it, it was, there was a lot of conversations to be had yeah. to help me get my head around what was to come. Or, you know, there's a huge wealth of research about things like matrescence and how a woman changes when she has a child. Um, and it is a huge emotional shift for both parties. Yeah. And I guess we're at the moment we're talking about heteronormative relationships, but right. even same-sex couples or if you're getting a surrogate or whatever it might be, yep. that sort of D-Day after baby is born and the changes happen, it hits us all the same. Yeah, absolutely. We all get the same kind of shock. And if you're not given that conversation to be had beforehand yeah. and the support leading up to it, I would feel quite lost, I think. And we know too, you know, through research and through all our different anecdotal pieces of evidence that men still can find it hard to open up about their feelings and their stresses or their worries, you know, just in life generally. We, we sort of know that through the research, this idea of the man box. For something as momentous as having a baby and becoming a father, you know, men might have all sorts of emotions. They might be super excited. They might be really worried and terrified, or they might be, you know, anything in between. But are we giving them the space to talk about it? Just a simple question like, how are you? You know, how is this, how are you going with this, this prospect, this pending change? And we're just not having those conversations. And we know from some research that about one in 10 dads will get perinatal depression after the baby's born. The big one for me too is that, you know, even in the smoothest, healthiest pregnancy and delivery, it's tough, right? And stressful for mom and dad. But when things are complicated or there are problems in the labor there are problems in the pregnancy, there are premature babies born. That additional stress, when you have dads not being able to be supported, talk about their feelings, who are suddenly not just thrown into fatherhood, but with really serious, potentially dangerous health complications, I think this makes it so much harder. And where's the support for them? You know, my wife's first labor was quite smooth and in the end, and that was all fine. But the, the second labor was really complicated and really stressful. And there were many some serious points throughout the day. Um, and I do remember um, after our little boy was born, it was about 10 or 11 at night. He'd been born for two or three hours. And my wife started complaining of this excruciating pain, not just like the post-labor, excruciating pain. And she was bleeding. 
not to be too grave. She was bleeding. So I pressed the button on the wall to come get the nurse to just check. I thought probably something regular, but we'll just check anyway. I was sort of, you know, late at night. So not a lot of people around. And then one nurse came in and then it felt like within an instant, they were banging the red emergency button. People were coming up from emergency. All the lights were thrown on in the, the labor suite. I was pushed to the back of the wall and suddenly we went from having, you know, all based trying to get some sleep to about seven doctors in the room doing all sorts of tests surrounding her. And I was pushed to the back and I was really worried and scared at this point because I'd heard stories of really scary labors. Yeah. And I was trying to get someone's attention to be like, what's going on? What's happening to her? Yeah. And it was like, it's all right, sir. We're handling the situation. We're managing the situation. Just basically stay away. And so, but what is the situation? What's going on? Like I'm her, I'm her husband. This is my son. What on earth is happening? And I got really frightened because I knew a, a story where, you know, someone had a horrible bleeding situation, a good friend of mine. So I was like, how bad is this going to get? And no one was talking to me and no one was including me at all. And I get, they had to attend to the health emergency first, Yes. but at least like, here's what we think is happening. Here's how we're going to treat it now. You're just going to have to stay back. I know it's hard, but leave yeah. us, but just nothing, just nothing. You really feel... Oh, you feel impotent, you feel terrifying. hopeless, you feel, I felt really scared. And then once it was kind of dealt with, and thankfully it was a, it was a clot, it was a blood clot, um, and once it was dealt with, yeah, I think I just burst into tears in front of Julian. I was like, that was the scariest I think I've ever had with, with in our relationship. And just then, you know, when she started to go back to sleep, I just think I just crawled into, you know, the fetal position on the floor on a rubber mat and just was shell-shocked. But yeah. there was just, you know. Nothing there. And it was really brought home to me just how peripheral I was at that point. Yeah. And I just, I think that's really hard on dads. I, and the thing about that is not only in the moment is it terrifying and awful to see that and feel helpless, but it's the, particularly for parenting, it's the aftermath yeah. of that experience. Because we always say to women, you know, um, make sure your cup is full before you help others on a very basic sort of wellness level. But of course it's true for any situation. You can't care for someone if you are depleted or something's happened to you. And what this is, is, is trauma, right? Yeah. If you saw that happen to someone you loved in any other situation, you would be getting help afterwards, yeah. I would assume. Oh, yeah. And absolutely. someone would say to you, if you're in a car accident, maybe you should speak to somebody. Yeah. The, the part about the dads in the birthing suite that I'm really interested in is this idea of being the witness. Yeah. So, um, you know, my husband loves telling stories about our birthing experience and I often make fun of the fact that I just remember he fell asleep and started snoring at one point. <laughs> and I was like, really? <laughs> but... I remember funny little things like that. Yep. I don't remember when they lost the heartbeat of the baby mm. when I was in the pool. And Daniel says that to me now. He's like, oh, no, I was terrified. Yep. I don't live with that now because I've forgotten, I've forgotten the pain. I've forgotten all of that that happened. And I wasn't even really aware of it. I was yep. so in the birthing experience, I wasn't aware of all the terror. I mean, obviously your wife was when that was happening to her. But what I mean to say is that regardless of how the labor goes, the non-birth partner is going to be a witness to these things. And I guess that can be both an amazing experience and it can be a traumatic experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we don't want dads to feel they can't 
speak up and sort of ask questions in the birthing suite or don't feel that they can play an active role because they absolutely can. And, and this, you know, in this conversation, it's, it's certainly not to say that whilst you've got this crucial process going on in terms of delivering a baby that they should be accommodating dad. No, it's about you want, you want dad to be involved and, and to be helping where they can, asking questions, helping to provide empathy and support and care to their partner as they're delivering the baby. We just don't want dads, I think, taking away the message straight off the bat that, okay, so I was kind of, yeah, I was a witness to that whole process. I'm kind of a secondary kind of sidekick role in this whole parenting journey. So I'm here to just sort of handle things in the background and I'm not a co-pilot as a parent. And I think that's that's what I worry people can take away or dads can take away from that from that whole pregnancy delivery experience is, right, so I don't really matter in this process or I'm not going to matter for a while. And, you know, one of the, the great parenting myths still is that, and for the first six months or so of a baby's life, a dad can't do anything active to care for the baby. And I've heard, I've, I was told that when I was, you know, a soon-to-be dad, and I've heard other dads say it to me. It's like, well, first six months, you can't do anything. They just want mum. There's literally nothing you can do. And, of course, that's not true at all. It's not true. Apart from the breastfeeding, mm. you can do everything else, all the changes, the settling, the feeding, but there's so much you can do. And um, that skin-to-skin contact yeah. is so important for the non-birth parent yeah. as it is. That's human connection, whether you have the milk to feed them or not. I mean, yeah. babies do eat a lot, but they don't eat 24 hours a day, yeah. you know? So there's that opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, even thinking about this more, you know, when we had our daughter, um, we moved from the birthing suite to a maternity room at the hospital. Um, and it was sort of late at night. It was sort of by this stage when we'd done all the, the first few things, you did the first couple of hours, like the skin on skin and the first feed. It must be nine or thirty or ten at night. We'd been in there all day. Obviously, everyone's exhausted. But the implicate, well, the inference was that I'd go home. It's like, well, you'll go home now, won't you? It's like, what do you mean? Like my baby's, you know, thirty, you know, three hours old. I'm not leaving my wife and my new baby and going anywhere. <laughs> I'll sleep on a chair. I'll sleep on the floor. But it's again, we don't even accommodate dads to stay. It's like, well, you'll just come back in the morning, right? It's like, no, I'm staying here. And that is actually. Thinking back to when my daughter was born and, and my husband did go home, it is such a strange experience yeah. to all of a sudden be alone with your child. And I'm, there was definitely a, a lovely part of that. But then it was also like, hold on, <laughs> this isn't just my child. There's definitely someone who's involved in this experience. Yeah. Um, and I think as well as sending a message to dads, it sends a message to mums. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That this is on you now. Definitely. Like you need to learn how to do these things. And of course, on a very basic level, we do all have to find our way with how we're going to parent as a couple, regardless of your gender. We all have to yep. work out how that's going to work. But when I think about those that first year, which can be so incredibly hard, to know that you have your partner there and it is on both of you, you could eradicate so much mum guilt. Yep. Which is such a painful burden to bear, but women will often feel it, if there was a real understanding that actually if you get this wrong, then maybe you can ask your partner if they've got ideas and, yeah. and you work it out together. Yeah, absolutely. Not like I feel you can trace a line directly from things like sending the dad home from the maternity suite, so we just come back in the morning all the way through to like our parental leave policies, right? Or yeah. men being required to work more or having less access to parental leave. It's this whole sense of it is predominantly on mum. Dad takes a little bit of time here and there to get to know the baby or, or you know, cover the base when mum's sick. But this whole message is 
that we yeah we sort of parent on our own or one at a time, and the dads are kind of the 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 sidekick. I mean, you know, I, I think too. You know, when our daughter was born, within the first three months of her being born, my wife got mastitis twice. Got twice within about three or four weeks. And oh, again, yeah, it was, it was horrible. It was literally we'd had a lovely day with the baby on one day, and she's like, "I'm just going to go have a bath." Then she came out absolutely shivering, you know, fever. It was like, what, what's just happened? Neither of us really knew, right? But at least because I was involved at that point, when she went down for the account with mastitis, I could be like, right, well, I know what to do. I'm just going to pick up and we do bottles. We do everything. Like, it wasn't that I had something was like, wait, I haven't done any of this. Like, what, what do I do? You need, you need to be coaching me even though you've got mastitis. Yes, and that does happen. I know friends whose partners didn't ever change a nappy, yep. which is saying that, I'm like, hold on a minute. That might have been my parents' generation, but surely not ours. Yeah. But it's still, still there. Happens. Yep. It's still the majority. Look, if I can take you back to your daughter's birth, yeah. because I, it sounds like they were quite different experiences. Yeah. And I asked a colleague here who's just had a baby. I said, what was it like in the birthing suite? And something he said that um, was lovely and I think is something I have heard a lot from dads is how in awe they were of their partner. Yeah. He also mentioned that everyone had said, oh, look, don't go down the other end because it'll ruin your sex life. And <laughs> he said, he did. He said it didn't change anything about his love or desire for his partner, but also that it was such an awe-inspiring experience to witness the birth, but also to witness what his wife was capable of. Yeah. And I'm wondering what the first experience was like for you in the context of not having that emergency and mm. all that awful stuff happen. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, and I, I guess the first experience looking at what my wife, Julie, was going through was just concern throughout the day. I'm someone tends to just be naturally a bit anxious. So we went in for an, to have the baby induced sort of in the morning. So it was worried about how she was going, how she was feeling and then, yes, in a way, I mean, I was absolutely, it was incredible how she, how well she handled it and, you know, like all, all mums, but I guess we'd had this, this labor where it was this slow grind throughout the day where things weren't moving as we were hoping, the obstetrician was hoping, it's like, oh my God, how long are we going to be in here? And then suddenly, you know, in the space of two hours, it all sort of <laughs> happened. So it kind of wasn't that, that point to be thinking clearly about my what I was what I was thinking was something like how long we could be in here for two days at this point to, oh no we're gonna have a baby by dinner time this is, <laughs> this is getting real um but I do remember too thinking will I get squeamish if I go you know down the other end or not but I, I did and I saw my daughter's head come out and it was still one of the the greatest moments of my life I can still remember the the adrenaline and the excitement and the the sense of anticipation, I guess, yeah. when you just, I saw a little brown hair, I'm like, oh my God, that's, you know, after nine months of wondering what she's going to look like and seeing the scans, like, that's her brown hair. And then to see her come out and get on, on Julia's chest, I remember feeling jubilant. I was like relieved, but I was jubilant. She was healthy. Um, I saw Julia had this look of sort of relief, but also sort of shock, like, oh, what's yes. just happened? Am I now a mum? Um I completely relate to yeah. that. And I guess after that, I, I was just like, come on, come on, come on. Give me the baby. Give me the baby. I, I, want, I, want, I want to do skin on skin and hold and hold her. And I sort of felt the placenta and I did all that. And I was like, wow, this is, I was trying to soak it up, I guess, is yes. the one way of saying it. I was really trying to absorb it. And yeah, I remember the moment I saw 
my daughter's head. I was like, yeah, I'm already madly in love with her. And I guess at that point, I was like, okay, well, Julia, whatever you need now, I'm just here to do. If it's, you know, glasses of ice or pillow, whatever, as you recover. And the next couple of nights, I remember, you know, trying to take the baby away to sort of settle the baby and give Julia some peace and quiet. But I did try to be like, just, you know, did play that, try to play that active support role of, you know, you've gone through this huge thing. She had a dislocated coccyx and other oh things from the labor. So it's like, whatever you need to do to recover, I'm just going to be here and I'll do every, I'll do as much as I possibly can. But I was still getting sent home like at midnight, you yeah. know, at the hospital and coming back at 5 a.m. and that sort of stuff. Um, but it was still one of the great, that, the birth of my daughter was still one of the great nights of my life. We had a healthy mum at the end. We had a healthy baby girl and we were together. I got to do the skin on skin and see the physicality of birth and, and, um, yeah, I think you are, I mean, I'm in awe of my wife, but it's also, I feel like I can't even really comprehend yes. what it would have been like. I just, I genuinely can't, I can say that looked incredible, but I don't, I just, I don't well, think I can even. Well, it's interesting you say that because when you were explaining how it felt when the baby was born, um, I know that everyone has a different experience. I was just so bloody tired yeah. that I couldn't quite believe that she was there. So we, we, and I ended up having an epidural and then an episiotomy. And they basically said, if you have an episiotomy, she'll be out in 10 minutes. And I was like, God, don't believe, go ahead, try yeah. your best. And then I had this baby. But when Daniel talks about it, it is similar to how you speak in terms of the emotion and the excitement and that feeling of love for your child. And we don't actually often talk about that experience for dads. You know, as much yeah. as it's important for us to talk about the um, when it's tough, that moment is so incredibly special. And I guess that's where being a, a witness, if and let's not think that you have to be a witness and not be involved, but that's a great part of it, right? That yeah. You get to feel all of those things yeah. when and, it goes right. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like it's even, you know, the change we're talking about here is a really little practical change when the family come and visit mum and the bub it's literally just one question i i get it that's what all the folks one question is like so how was it for you dad how'd yes. it go how are you feeling that's it yes that's all we're not expecting you know anything else but, but that just could be like, the whole way through right right absolutely just it's one just question that, wherever you're at in that yeah just including them in the how are you guys going and i don't remember people asking me like well how was it for you. Um, it was all about mum and pub, but it's just, it feels like there's a little thing. I don't think it's been selfish or, or, you know, on behalf of dads to just say that one question to them at some point when it's just like, so how's, how are you going with this? You know, yeah. was it all right for you in the, in the, the, the birthing suite? Just those little questions. I think that's it. It I, just shifts it. Just shifts that little bit. Yeah. Being like you're, you're a team now and how was it for you as well? I think that could make all the difference. And, you know, that should be coming from family should be coming from midwives and nurses and obstetricians and doctors are just like, how are you guys as a team Yes, going? Um, you know, a few times, yeah, in those days afterwards, you sort of be like, you would try, I would try and just weigh in to be, you know, to show that I'm actively trying to ask questions, pay attention. You're like, oh, right. Yep. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, dad. Anyway, back to mom and, you know, <laughs> teaching you how to breastfeed. It's like, and you're not trying to be like a, a nod or a man's man. You're just being like, I want to ask questions because I'm hundred percent invested in this as well. So talk to the two of us. Yeah. Um, and those, yeah, all these little signals I think we've got to just shift. And I don't think it yes. takes a massive amount. It doesn't take hundreds of millions of dollars or anything like that. It's just no. a difference of approach. Um, and I think that helps dads feel they can come out of their shell. They can talk more about 
leading up to becoming a dad, becoming a dad those first few weeks. And hopefully just starts the mindset shift of like, oh yeah, we're a team here. It's absolutely a mindset shift, isn't it? Because words are basically what create our reality. So if we don't include both birthing parent and non-birthing parent in that conversation, then it is always going to stay that way. And it, it could make such a big difference. Yeah. And again, you know, you trace it all the way through to things like parental leave where still there are so many policies and workplaces where it's, for some reason, it's written into the policy that only one parent at a time can be on parental leave. Mm. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, what do you care if you're an employer and the the person that's working for you has a partner at home at the same time? What, why does that invalidate someone taking parental leave? This whole sense of it's one at a time. Yeah. You hand it back and forth between each other. You don't do it as a, as a team or as a family, as a couple. It's just... And it's especially no now, especially now when we don't have extended family support, yeah. which is how people would always do it. So there's just been this increasing thought over time that it is all on the birthing parent. It's yep. all on the mum. So look, I think your message here, if there was to be a message, <laughs> is that really it's the people around the couple can make this experience for dads more inclusive yeah. just by asking one question, which is a really easy thing for people to do. But what would you say to an expectant dad right now in terms of this experience that they're about to go into? I'd say use whatever's left in the pregnancy in terms of your time frame. Use it to the absolute fullest extent in terms of setting up your work life when a baby's coming along to emotionally prepare. What, what type of dad do I want to be? You know, how do I want to be involved? How can I best support my partner during the rest of the pregnancy and, and, and during the labor? And just, I think, really try and soak up the, the special couple time that you have left before a baby comes along and, and as best you can, get involved. And I think, you know, start a, as you wish to go on, you know, go to the obstetrician or the midwife appointments, go to the scans, you know, feel the baby, you know, play your favorite music to the, to the womb and feel it kick and all those little things where you can start to humanize and visualize your, your baby to come will, will just mean that your enthusiasm and involvement will continue on once they're born. So don't sort of sit back, don't say, I'll wait for the baby to be born or I'll wait for it to become six months when it becomes more interesting. From the moment, you know, you're having a kid, there is stuff that you can do. Just do it, do it and, and believe in yourself. Yeah. Because, you know, it's, as I've said many times, I had no experience of babysitting, having small siblings, around. I had no experience of kids and it's, you learn on the job. That's, you know, there's yes, no natural <laughs> innate skill set. You just learn on the job and you'll learn by doing. So the more you do, the more confident you'll become and also the more fun you'll have, the more yeah, you do. Absolutely. Rob, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Yeah, absolute pleasure. That's Rob Stark. His book is called Man Raises Boy, and I'll put links to it in the notes of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love. If you did, please rate, review, or favourite. That way, you'll get all the new episodes, plus we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, email me at feedplaylove at listener.com. Bye for now.